Story loving one of you. Welcome to Digging Through with Jesse Alvarez, a podcast celebrating the cultural omnivores in all of us. Sometimes I interview folks who are doing some creative stuff out there, and sometimes I just talk. In today's episode, I take a look back at summer 2021. Doesn't it feel like June was 20 years ago and not two months ago? Hmm, summertime is fleeting. But this year, well, let's reminisce about those good old early days of summer for a bit. It started out looking bright. June rolled around and the weather was nice. Most of my friends were vaccinated so I was able to venture out into the world for the first time in a year and a half. It was glorious. Seeing friends, talking to them face to face, sharing a meal, a drink, walking through Central Park, it felt like pre-pandemic days. I even stepped inside a museum. All looked good. I was happy. I think we were all breathing a sigh of relief. Even though we were all still wearing our masks indoors and being careful, we were happy. It felt like we were making progress. During the pandemic, I kept myself busy. I run a micro-publishing press, and we worked diligently on our third chapbook for our Digging Press chapbook series. The chapbook, Every First and Fifteenth, by Dimitri Reyes is available at our website, diggingpress.com. That's just a little plug. But yeah, keeping busy during quarantine helped get me through it. So I was okay being home, but as the weather got warmer and I was able to receive my vaccine, I began looking forward to venturing out. So June rolled around, I began making plans to meet friends in the city. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that my sanctuary, the place that makes me feel safe, warm, and fuzzy, is usually a place where art is on display. I have not been keeping track on what has been going on in the art world, mostly because of COVID and the uh, restrictions, but also because I, quite frankly, was afraid of leaving my house. But I made plans to meet a friend and visit the Alice Neal Retrospective at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The retrospective was titled, People Come First. Good title, right? Walking into the exhibit, we were greeted by drawings and paintings of people demonstrating against fascism and racism. These works were arranged alongside paintings and drawings of people struggling during the Great Depression. This gave the exhibit a social justice theme, which felt a bit forced. Alice Neal was born in 1900. She lived through many difficult and historic events in this country, and she captured these different social events in a range of artistic expression. You can see her visual sensibilities evolve. Although I appreciated the focus on Neil's social activism, it's her more intimate works 
that captivated me. Neil moved from Greenwich Village to Spanish Harlem in the 1940s, and it was during this time she personalized her work by featuring her neighbors in her paintings. According to a New York Times article written by Jason Farrago, Alice Neal wrote in her diary around the end of World War II, I love you, Harlem. Farrago's article is uh, about a gallery show, which was organized by the uh, writer Hilton Owls, and uh, which um, took place at the David Werner Gallery in Chelsea back in uh, 2017. In Farrago's article, he writes, Her later paintings, especially, made her sitters strange through thick outlining and unelaborated backgrounds. But behind Neil's experiments with form were New York lives of writers and revolutionaries, lovers and petty criminals. At the Met, the paintings selected from this period also include Warhol's superstars like Jackie Curtis, as well as working-class members of different New York City Black and immigrant communities. I was particularly drawn to a portrait of two little boys. As a child of a Dominican immigrant, I was surprised to read that the two little boys were Dominican. Even though the Dominican community is one of the largest immigrant communities in New York City, I rarely see Dominicans from that era represented in a large cultural institution. It was a reminder that the Dominican community has deep roots in New York City and yet remains absent from institutional New York City history. I do have to point out that in 1992, the City University of New York devoted an interdisciplinary research unit to the study of Dominicans in the United States and other parts of the world, including the Dominican Republic. The various colleges of the City University, or CUNY as I call it, offer a wide variety related to the Dominican Republic. So there are some strides being made to acknowledge my long-standing community. According to the New York Times article, Neil hated Greenwich Village, the post-war epicenter of abstract expressionism. She moved to Spanish Harlem, and it was there that, quote, her portraits grew tighter and more cute, and her subjects grew more ethnically diverse. I mean, let's step back a little here, and Pardon me for pointing this out, but here's a little old white lady in Spanish Harlem, and she's getting it, capturing the dignity of the people around her. There's so much care, and no, these are not realistic portraits. This is not social realism. She's an expressionistic artist. She is not a realist. And this gives her work freedom from the noise, from the preconceptions. She's interested in experimentation, representing the real in a unique way. 
Another focus of the retrospective at the Met are Neil's post-war nudes of pregnant women. I'm not a mother, and I've never been pregnant, so for me, this was fascinating new territory. Something about the female nude as a pregnant mother, painted by another woman, so you have this female gaze upon this female form with a being forming inside, that is a very powerful combination. It is something I guess some people may find erotic, but I didn't think they were erotic per se. I did feel awestruck by them. They were so candid and so lush. That power of womanhood on full display without any trace of humility or unselfishness. In other words, these were not Madonna figures, which you find in Renaissance paintings, but also in the work of male contemporary artists. As a cisgender straight woman, I find the Madonna aura to be oppressive, unimaginative, and somewhat sadistic when it's painted from the point of view of a man. But Neil's work seeks to capture something beyond the uh, predestined role of motherhood. She's not imposing her vision of the world. She's simply hoping to provide a conduit to a revelation. Of the over 100 pieces on display at the Met from various periods and various moments in her life, we see that she had a tumultuous life. Mental illness, broken marriages, failed love affairs, loss, all this pain in her life gives her work something intangible, but weighted. Pain can drive creativity. But Neil's work never feels heavy-handed. Her distortion, because like I said, these are not realistic paintings, these are expressionistic paintings, her distortions celebrate fluidity, the transference between subject and artist. One of my favorite portraits, and this is part of a group of portraits Neil painted in the 1970s when she was um, living further west from Spanish Harlem, I believe uh, near Columbia University. One of my favorite paintings is called The Marxist Girl. It's a huge portrait of the feminist artist by the name of Irene Peslikis. Neil was 72 years old when she painted the Marxist girl. At the time, she was a progressive from another generation. She lived through the Great Depression, and to her, class was the bigger issue. She didn't necessarily agree with the second generation of feminists who focused their efforts on the primacy of gender. But even though she had a different opinion, Neil still supported these young feminists, and they supported her. Irene, the subject of the painting, was an artist and an activist, equally committed to economic and gender equality. In the portrait, she is leaning back in a chair. One arm reaches above her head, exposing her hairy armpit, while her right leg hangs over an armrest. Forcing her legs apart is the description that I found online, but I'm not sure if, quote, forcing 
is the right turn. Although I think the person who wrote this description for the Mets website is uh, getting at something. There's a look in Irene's eyes that reads serious and distrustful. Does this distrust have to do with my gaze? It almost looks like Irene is about to launch from the chair and attack the viewer of the painting. Her pose promises a confrontation. Am I connecting to this figure's pose, or is the fear and rage that lies in her stare what holds me captive? Or perhaps it's our status, assigned female at birth. I identify as Latina, and many times in my life I've experienced fear and rage because of my identity. Maybe this is what I'm projecting onto this portrait. I wonder what someone else feels when they view it. What form of transference takes place between that viewer, Alice, and Irene? Unfortunately, the Alice New exhibit at the Met ended August 1st, but you can view the paintings and read more about Alice Neal at the Met's website, metmuseum.org. So that was June, and then July began. We attended a 4th of July celebration at my in-law's home in Queens, New York, and that was great. Again, all of us over 12 years old were vaccinated. We didn't have to wear masks anymore. We kept the party small, simple, and outdoors. And we were so encouraged by the good vibes after that party that my partner and I decided to make a trip to our favorite place in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Everything was going great. The vaccination rates were high, and they looked like this fun Cape Cod town was recuperating from summer 2019. We booked a room at an inn. It was an updated room in a house built in 1776. We had a lovely skylight above the bed. We also had a portrait of a woman from the 18th century, and and she was very stern looking, which was a little off-putting, particularly because she was placed facing the bed. But she had a flask in her hand, so that was kind of funny. And made us feel a little more comfortable. We had access to a pool, which was nice. And best part, no one under 16 is allowed to stay at this inn. I love kids. And I'm sure if you are a listener with kids, your kids are amazing. But when you're a childless couple, as we are, the last thing we want to be around is, a, is in a pool full of children. The second day in Provincetown, news started circulating around town. Apparently, folks that had been visiting during the 4th of July celebration were coming down with COVID. Now, the last thing you want to hear when you're on vacation is that the place that you're staying at is experiencing an outbreak of COVID. I do have to say, when we first arrived, I was surprised to see that no one was wearing a mask. Many restaurants and bars have outdoor seating available, so that seemed okay to us. But the the main street, which is a commercial street, was super crowded. 
After that second day and, and the news of this outbreak, more people uh, put their masks back on. But of course, uh, when things feel safe and then they're not safe, folks get confused about rules. What was uh, surprising about this outbreak was that the folks getting COVID were mostly vaccinated. So yeah, that was, that was a turning point for my summer fun. I think all of us, whether you are vaccinated or unvaccinated, I think, I think we all have doubts about what's happening and how to best navigate the pandemic. I'm skeptical, but I'm also rational. I believe COVID is a public health issue and scientists are trying their best to guide people to save lives. They don't want to harm us on purpose. I get a flu shot every year because I have asthma. I've had sinus infections where I literally can't breathe. So I get a flu shot every year and I still get a cold, but my colds are usually mild and don't last very long. So I believe in vaccines. I got the Pfizer vaccine in late April, early May. After the first shot, I felt, I felt like shit. Mostly, I felt fatigued, and that lasted about 12 hours or so. For the second shot, I didn't feel as bad. The second time, the fatigue lasted about two hours, and and then I was fine. So, I don't regret getting the vaccine, and I would encourage those of you who can get it to do so. It's, it's sad to see the division between those who are advocating for the vaccine and those who are strongly opposed to any mandated efforts. I feel like this pandemic will drag on, and I'm, I'm pissed about that, for sure. But I'm also sad that this is where we are, and I'm not sure if the end is in sight anymore. So that was July. <laughs> and now we're heading to August. And we just don't know how this is going to play out. But August is a big month for me. It's, it's my birth month. I'm celebrating a very big birthday this year. And I'm unfortunately not able to have a large get-together. I wish I could because I really need one. I miss having fun with my friends. But the timing is, is terrible. I'm, I'm hoping to refocus my energies on, on other goals, uh, things that I can do in the house. So I'm, I'm focusing on finishing my first novel and doing something with that. This is, a, this is a project I've been working on for a long time, and, and it's good to at least see something ending. I, I feel like I need something to end. Writing is, is so difficult. I'm always suspicious of writers who say they love to write because I, I don't know what they're talking about. I, I hate writing, but I feel compelled to do it. And so I sit and I wrestle with language, but do I love it? No, I do not. It's hard. I'm constantly trying not to completely destroy what I've spent years building. But here we are, and I need to finish this. So I'm, I'm taking a break over the next few weeks from the world and concentrating on this one task. 
It's important to end projects, to let go. It's good for your head and for your soul. So that's how I'm going to spend this last month of summer. I was hoping to be a little happier about where we're at. Um, but unfortunately, I feel very ambivalent and uh, a little scared, very sad, and um, uncertain. But I also think we need to uh, muster up some feeling of hope. So um, one way that I'm able to do this for myself is by keeping busy. So this fall, I will be interviewing a few writers and posting those interviews on the podcast uh, as they're done. So look out for those. We are also uh, publishing new stories up at Digging Through the Fat, our web journal. You can read those at diggingpress.com. And if you are looking to submit a chapbook to the Digging Press Chapbook Series competition, we are accepting submissions through October 15th. So you can find the submit button on our website. And uh, good luck to you if you submit something. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading all these chapbooks. It's always one of the best things I do during the year. And what else? Oh, oh yes. Let me, let me wrap things up and, and end it with, um, with a quote by Clarissa Spector because, uh, I love Clarice. She is, she is not the happiest of writers. Uh, I don't know if people read Clarice Spector and feel uplifted after reading her, but I find that she's a very, um, prescient writer. I find that her words are sometimes cryptic and it, because they're cryptic, they're hopeful. So I'm going to share this quote that I found by Clarice Spector. Do you know that hope sometimes consists only of a question without an answer? Oh, Clarice, yeah, never disappoints me. <laughs> Even with all that is going on, I, I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer, or at least try to. Um, it sucks that some of us have to put on their masks again. I personally am wearing masks to the supermarket again. Uh, not necessarily outdoors, but if I do see a crowd, I put my mask on because we just don't know. We just don't know what's happening anymore. And um, I guess this is life for now, and we have to figure out ways of making the best of it. So that's what, um, that's what I'm going to try to do. I want to thank you for listening. Be safe, love, and cherish everything and flowers. <laughs> <laughs>